Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, Garth Porter, a New Zealand-born Australian musician, songwriter and record producer. He was a member of the pop group Sherbet, co-writing two of their big hits, Summer Love and How's That. He's also co-written and produced some of country music's biggest stars, including Lee Kernighan and as a mad cricket lover. And Catherine Alcorn, an Australian singer, actor, performer, podcaster and producer. She's won multiple awards for her work with both the Sydney Adelaide Cabaret Festivals. She's also the managing director of two production companies and has one of the most amazing voices. Let's get started. Welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Garth Porter. Welcome, Garth. How are you, Lee? Mate, lovely to see you, mate. Nice to have you down here at the old stomp. I know, mate. We'll talk about it. It's been 20 years since I've been here, so I'm looking forward to chatting about that. Um, and Catherine Alcorn. Welcome, Catherine. Oh, good day, Shane. How are you? This is this is great for you both. As I said at the start, we're um, we're in Garth's studio here in, in uh, Botany. Yeah, Botany. Well, Banks Meadow, which is yep. like a subdivision of Botany. And when we, we you recorded, well, you produced our first album, Six and Out, 20 years ago we were here. Time's <laughs> oh, gone like yeah. that, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> well, t- the good news is we're still here. Yes. <laughs> and we're still doing not so different things than we were then. So. Um, well, how do you improve on perfect? You just you got know? to keep on trying. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Catherine, that introduction, I just read out all your credits there, right? All the stuff you do, you make a triple threat look lazy. Oh. You do so much. Oh, well, you know, I, I really love what I do. Yep. I really love what I do. And when I was uh, transitioning from mm. uh, TV and sport into my now career, um, you know, I saved up. It was 2009. I saved up 3000 bucks and quit my job and... Started producing my show, but that meant fully producing everything. I taught myself how to build websites. I designed my own posters. I did a 27 years old, didn't know she could outsource. (laughs) Look at this, (laughs) sweet little thing. But what it's given me is, um, you know, complete knowledge of the business and the back end of it, which I'm so grateful for today because – with my two production companies, which focuses on live entertainment, film and TV production, uh, touring a lot of artists that come to me, I know what they need. And I think that that's really important when you're in that position to be able to understand what an artist need, you know, the gruelling touring schedule, being able to help them out and also advise them on the best ways for them to then go and, you know, hopefully do the same thing and educate themselves on, on the business, which is huge and overwhelming. But as I said, I love what I do and I wouldn't change a thing. You can definitely tell that. And Garth, I want to ask you about, um, you, you were born in New Zealand. Um, and I, I read a thing where you said you used to walk to your grandparents' house after school and you would, almost the beat of your steps, then you'd start sort of making up words and singing, make up your own songs. Is that that's how you got to music originally? Oh, no, no. That was – I always had to be in the bonnet for me. In fact, I've still got a piece of old – do you remember Burl Ives? Does that mean anything to anybody no, here? No. He was an American singer in the late 40s and 50s. Okay. And when I was born in 48, and um, I've still got the, the piece of sheet. Mum went out and bought me the sheet music. In those days, there was no CDs or no. Walkman or anything like that to buy. So all she could do is really buy me the sheet music. And I've still got it. Wow. So, but apparently, I just would sing everything, and okay. according to Mum. just and Did you learn piano first? No, no, this is way before. Well, I'm, okay. I'm talking about four, five, six, seven, eight years old at the right. moment. Right, okay. Yeah, like 
started really early with loving music. Yep. From there, the next big music love was sort of through the Everly Brothers. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Learn how to harmonise there. (laughs) (laughs) They were so good. Incredible. (laughs) That live show that they did, uh, the big... Uh, London venue, yep. but it was just incredible. And when you watch those two boys, they're like this as they're singing, yep. and and just their timing, they're phrasing together, right? And they would do it by just watching, just watching. Yep. The, yep. the blonde one would just watch the other one singing, like Royal Albert Hall. That's it. There yes. she is. Gotcha. If, yep. if you Thank ever you. want to see them at their beauty and their best, mm. just check that out. It's a video, of course, and it's magic. There to the shadows yep. and the British scene. And then Cliff Richard was a part of that as well, of course. Then Blink and the Beatles stepped yeah, up and the Stones and Manfred Mann and Procol Harum, Led Zeppelin and that whole British thing exploded. So if I already loved music. You can imagine what yeah, that sure. did. That made me a complete mind. addict and I just could not resist anything. I don't even reckon it's a choice. I reckon if you're meant to be... True. A musician, yep. it's just in you from the moment. Mm, from yeah. the moment the cord is cut, yeah. you know. I yeah. used to, um, I'd harmonise with the vacuum. Wow. When mum, m- mum would vacuum. Mum was vacuuming, <laughs> just kind of, But you know, as a three, four year old, I'd, I'd harmonise, and and it, it was just always there. Like it wasn't even a choice. That's really cool because. Mm. Mm. <laughs> there you go. You're still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get the vacuum cleaner out for a demo. <laughs> and Catherine, growing up, um, your your dad was a, a dairy farmer. Your mum was a Bondi girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those two met. But um, but your grandfather was a plumber and a tanner himself, so he was a singer. So it is in your blood. Yeah, totally. Um, I I was doing a new show with Phil Scott last year called Thirty Something, set on New Year's Eve in 1939 in Kings Cross. Yep. And we were doing some research, and I found out that my my grandmother Catherine and my grandfather Cliff, mum's mum and dad, lived in the Versailles building on Darlinghurst Road and Cliff was a plumber. Yep. And they lived there until mum was about three. They used to take her down to Darlinghurst Road and take her to the clubs and she'd fall asleep under the table while they were, you know, out to dinner and listening to music. And yet um, Cliff was a, a plumber, but he was the plumber for the original Lay Girls building. Oh. Yeah. So I was always going to be a showgirl with pipes. <laughs> <laughs> Undeniable. Garth, I want to move to um, your days in Sherbet and, and how that came about. When, when did you first meet Daryl? Well, the first time I met Daryl, I actually yeah. didn't actually meet him. I just saw him. I was um, on nights off. I was in Sydney, obviously, at the time, and uh, Jonathan's disco was ripping away on Broadway. <laughs> Discos. And, and Sherbet were doing a show there, and, I th- and for whatever reason, I went and watched it, and I, and I was mightily impressed. Mm. Just Daryl's voice is still the same as yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then it wasn't too long after that, there was a knock on the door of the place I was living in and Clive Shakespeare, who was the guitarist in yep. Sherbet at the time, was knocking on the door and he said, oh, we heard you just got in from New Zealand and you play organ. Um, we're looking for an organ player. Sherbet's yep. uh, organist, Sam C, was heading to England okay. uh, to play with, uh, forgotten the band. It was an Australian band who was going over mm-hmm. to join. So, and I did a uh, rehearsal with them and they said, hey, that's good, let's do it. Um, Catherine, you, you wrote um, your own musical, um, The Divine Miss Bet, all about Bette Midler, but you actually 
you met the guy that discovered Bette Midler. Yeah, so when I was at Wide World of Sports, I just yep. moved back to Australia and um, I went to uni in Wagga. So I lived down there for four years. And oh, the cabaret capital of the world. Oh, God, but it turns out it was something in the water down there. Yeah. Bulls and cabaret. Um, so um, it was a straight acting course and there wasn't much of a voice component and I was always more musical than I was straight okay. acting. So I started to perform outside of um, uni with local producers and writers, etc. It started, you know, that's where I sort of cut my teeth doing the cabaret shows uh, in the garden court. And um, then I met a boy and went overseas and did the rite of passage, you know, from Canada and the UK, yep. etc. Then I moved back and fell into TV and went to see some of my friends at Slide Lounge one night. They were Wagga mates. They'd come up to Sydney, had a cabaret show. And a gentleman called Peter Cox, who was one of those producers yep. I was working with, um, he wrote it and I raced up to him afterwards because I was just blown away by this venue, the, you know, the LED disco floor and the, and the grand piano yeah. and it was the old Art Deco Commonwealth Bank on Oxford Street. Anyway, he put he put Bet together for me um, and I've completely forgotten the question because I just went off on a tangent. No, what was it? Um, it was, I'm just trying to work out here, it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was Steve Ostroff. That's yes, right. Who, so when, thank you. So when, yeah. when I was researching and, and we were putting this show together, I was working with a cellist from the Brandenburg Orchestra, yep. one of my originals, and he said, you know, the bloke the bloke who uh, discovered Bette Midler lives just around the corner from us here in wow. Elizabeth Bay. And I said, who is this man? Tell me all about him. <laughs> His name was Stephen Ostro. He was the man who ran and managed and founded the Continental Baths in New York City wow. in the 70s. So it was a gay bathhouse. Being gay in the 70s in America was illegal. Mm. Dancing with two men on a dance floor was illegal. So they were being raided weekly. You know, there were beat-ups, there were raids, the place was getting shut down. It was horrendous. So Steve said to his wife, Joanne, I need some music in this joint. I need an entertainer who's going to take the patrons' minds off the fact that they could be raided and arrested and beaten at any time (laughs) just for being themselves, right? So Joanne said, well, there's this little pocket rocket in my class, in my acting class, and she waits tables down on down in Soho. Yep. She waits a table, then she gets up and sings a song, go and check her out. So Steve went down and he told me the story and he said, um, you know, there's this, there's this dumpy little girl and she had frizzy brown hair and you wouldn't think anything to look at her, but when she got up on the stage and she started singing, she became luminous. Right. So he called her over to his table after she'd finished singing and he said, I want, I want you to sing in my club. And she said, well, what kind of a club is it? <laughs> and he said, well, it's, it's, a, it's a bathhouse. And she said, you want me to sing in a steam room? <laughs> he said, I'll pay you 25 bucks a night. She said, sold. <laughs> and so he paired her up with one of his patrons who was a young pianist called Barry Manilow. Oh, wow. And the rest is history. So I found all of this out because... I researched Steve and I called him from behind the reception yep. desk at yes. Wide World of Sports. <laughs> Don't work. tell anyone. <laughs> I won't tell Bersie. Always, <laughs> always using my resources to the greatest yep. effect. And um, I called Steve and I said, look, I've got this show. I want to go back into vocal coaching because he had moved out to Australia to take a role here and never went home after his wife died. And he said, we had a conversation. He said, you know, so what kind of a show is it? And I said, well, actually, it's a Bette Midler show. And he said, oh, Bette. 
I remember a bet. I used to pay her 25 bucks a night. Now she's making 100 million a year. Why don't you come around and I'll tell you all about it? <laughs> well. So then he became my vocal coach for five years. Classically, he was a classical vocalist yes. trainer. Um, never trained me to sound like Bet, but it was the stories that he used to tell me about her and the way she would choose her material and that she'd rehearse the band in the bathhouse every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then on a Saturday night, she'd get them exactly where she wanted them. She'd come in, she'd do it all different. So <laughs> she'd train them up. Well, knew where they were going to be. They knew what they needed to do and then she'd come in and put on the show. You mentioned the 70s there, Garth. Um, what was it like in, in the pop scene, rock scene here in, in Australia in the late 70s, early 80s? Was it it's obviously very, very different to what it is now, but what, yeah. what are your recollections of those times? Uh, there was... Uh, <laughs> are there not any many. Recollections? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think where to start. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah. Mm. Um, on the overall yep. scene thing, it seemed like virtually every pub had a live band mm. in it back yep. in that era. I mean, because I miss that. It, yeah. There were just so many live venues for bands, and that's probably the worst thing that's happened since then till now. There's so few yeah. live venues now. Um, bands typically now, all of the experience and learning to play together, we used to do in clubs like. Um, Jonathan's, that we were there on a residency and we would play there six nights a week mm. on and on and on and on and on from around about nine till three in the morning. Mm. And that's where we learnt to become a band that could craft a gotcha. performance and so on you could take on the road into bigger venues. Now bands do that in rehearsal rooms. Yeah. Mm. They learn all of their sets and yep. everything about a performance happens more at rehearsal than actually at venues. And even then, probably Jonathan's was pretty rare in being one of the few clubs in Sydney that actually had um, resident bands. Well, let's take a little break now. We're here in Gar's studio over here in Botany. And it's bringing back some really good memories. 20 years ago, we were here recording Six and Out. Um, so we've got to watch some peaches like we did back in the day. Maybe a couple of O'Brien beers to wash those down. In life, the most important thing is trust. Without it, everything is a lot harder in a quickly changing and turbulent time. Barclay Pierce Capital is a safe pair of hands, an organisation built on people. They understand you've worked hard to build your nest egg and their asset management business is tailored to suit your needs. Their services help grow your wealth in order to provide long-term safety and security for you and your family. BPC, just a phone call away. If you're ready for your next thoroughbred racing adventure, then join the Osher Group. They exceed expectations on what racehorse ownership should look like. Australia's racing industry is enjoying unprecedented growth. Through a strategic, well-managed and data-driven approach, there is now a very real opportunity to build a profitable and sustainable thoroughbred portfolio. Find the Osher Group online at theoshergroup.com. Um, the song, and the reason I suppose you and I know each other was through your love of cricket. Um, you wrote the song, How's That? Yeah. Do you remember you telling me how that came about? I think you were coming back from Wollongong, is that correct? You remember all this. Yeah, I do, mate. <laughs> you 20 years ago. I'm not going to tell you anything. How's that indeed? <laughs> yes, got him. Uh, no, we'd been, we always carted, and especially all the boys, especially Daryl and Roger, they were the serious cricket freaks. Yeah. And so when we're touring in, in the bus, part of the stuff that would go into the bus was a kit bag of cricket gear. Mm. Yeah. And so um, we were heading back and there'd been a sort of 
pretty serious issue with Clive at the time, Clive Shakespeare, and um, he was no longer in the band. And we thought, well, we need. Where are we going to start from here? And I thought, well, we're doing cricket now. I just sort of sit, cruising out. Virtually, I can remember sitting in the back seat, get, just mentally going across through cricket expressions and and all of those sort of things. I thought, how's that? Yeah. And I thought to myself, that could become a catchy sort of a title. Yes. And then. Um, Sure that was the beginning of the whole process. And then I just started working on musical ideas, structures, grooves and all of those things and sort of pulled the song together. And um, that's how it kind of had happened. And, and Catherine, how do you go about your creative process? Is it Do you sit down in the room? Is, does it depend? Does it change depending on? I can't schedule a time to sit down and write right. a song. Like it's got a – I'm not sure if you're the same, gut, but I've. It, it, they come to me. They right. come to me just any time. I think you've just – as a Be open to it. Be open to it as a vessel for creativity. It just – you know, you've got to give yourself the opportunity when it does come to stop everything and then sit down and, and maybe make a note or, you know, expand on it a little bit. But, um, you know, with a five-year-old, that doesn't very, no, happen very often, I must tell you. Yeah, you're right about nappies now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the cult hit um, lesbians eating a quiche. Oh, Where'd five, that come from? five. There were in fact five <laughs> lesbians eating a quiche. Oh, really? Let me That's tell it? you, yeah, it was a feast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hold the bacon. Yeah. Um, that was uh, that was uh, the uh, the off. It wasn't off-off. It was an off-Broadway play, okay. and I, I starred in the yep. Australian premiere of it back in 2017. I played Luli, who Luli. was the, the head of the uh, the head of the association, the Quiche Association. <laughs> it was wonderful. We we opened in Brisbane. We did two mate sellout seasons there, and then we went on to tour. We did um, Melbourne Fringe Festival, and um, it was really really great experience. That was the first. Straight play that I've that I've there been in with. Uh, there you go, um, without any musical component. It reminds me of um, my wife's name's Lorraine, so she often used to get quiche. quiche. quiche is a <laughs> and um, we went to a steak restaurant with my my younger brother Brett, and uh, we used to go to a steak restaurant quite a bit. So we had our own knives with our nickname. So I had Fuggy, my nickname, and it had quiche on it. And Brett said to Lorraine. Why have you got Queaky on your thing? Oh, bless, bless him. Oh, he's so, he's so pretty, isn't he, Brett? You're so pretty, Brett. <laughs> hey, Garth, what are you working on at the moment? Uh, plenty of things. Yep. Um, probably my favourite project is one which actually began about five or six years ago. I was invited into Bunaba Country in the Kimberleys and there was uh, to Yarramalay College over yep. there, and they had this sort of symposium on language, right. the preservation specifically of Indigenous languages, and in particular at that venue of the school, the college, uh, the Bunaba language. Wow. And I met some pretty inspiring people. June Oscar is one of them who is a remarkable elder woman. I can never remember her title. It's it's really she's a really important person. Sorry, June. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I sort of left there and then was driving back to Broome from uh, Fitzroy Crossing, mm -hmm. which is about a seven-hour drive, and we stopped for petrol. And there's a whole lot of little magazines in the in the petrol stop there, out in the middle of nowhere. And amongst them, there was the story of uh, Jandamara, who who raised arms mm -hmm. and was a resistance leader against the white settlers mm. who were coming in wow. with their guns, with their takeover mentality, Taking everything. Yep. not thinking that for a moment that they should 
buy or offer to buy or share or whatever. They just, the guns came out, people were killed, and Jandamara sort of began a, his resistance to their presence in the, well, in the Bunaba country. Yeah. And so I got writing a, a lot of songs, and I do a lot of reading of Indigenous mm. yep. things now. So that I'm very inspired to do what I can and help them through with the referendum, which hopefully is coming up Fingers in a couple crossed. of years, yep. and just do what I can to pour a little bit of oil on the fire from yep. small fires around mm. with Indigenous songs and material yep. and ideas and so on. Another uh, country guy I'm working with is um, Baden Faint, who is, has never recorded. He's, Love uh, his name. He's yeah, in, isn't that great? Cool name, isn't yeah. it? He's in, he's in Cobar as we speak, working on the land. He's just so bushy and I just – something about him. I've yeah, Anyway, we'll just see where it leads. I've just – I get excited about things. I mean, I'm sure that you do too, Catherine. It's like when you see things, and if I'm getting a little bit bored, I've got so many books in my room, and I'm an avid reader, yeah. and I'm so often picking up things. I say, oh, man, I love that phrase. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Oh, man, wow, I can't believe this has happened. And, yep. it's, and, it's, and it's sort of it feeds your uh, – Creativeness. Inspiration. Yeah, yeah. it mm. inspires you to do things, mm. you know, and uh, it's it's great. And there's other bits and pieces going on as well. So, um, yeah, life's busy and full and good. Yes, and- we're about to re-record one of his major hits, <laughs> aren't we, Garth? <laughs> Say yes on air. Oh, Say sorry. yes on air. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. We had it here first on Lunch with Lee. Well, we could uh, we could maybe get one of those boys to sing on it and pop it on their album. Well, there's a special guest opportunity well, you didn't go. think you'd oh, get today. Rhythm guitarist, there we go. Hey. Maybe. I better tune it. Maybe. Yeah, we'll do a jam. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could do it with these guys and we can be the guests on their version of it. Love it. That'd be fun. Love it. But... <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> which, which song are we talking about here, fellas? We're talking about Hollywood, of course. We have yeah, to. We were. Fantastic yeah. song. Yeah, uh, Catherine, Just brilliant. I love your new podcast, Catheteria. Yes. Br- brilliant name. Um, <laughs> the Catheteria, where everyone gets a serve. I, I listened to the Phil, the Phil Scott one. It's very good. Oh, thank you. It was, yeah. it was, it was brilliant. Really, yeah. really good. Check it out, guys. Thank uh, Catheteria, you. it's um, it's, it's very insightful. Well, that that was the point of it. I think after COVID, um, sort of realising how little people know about the industry for those who are not in it and what it actually takes artists and creatives to facilitate a life in this industry, that's really what I wanted to – that's what I wanted to help people to understand, how it is what you, that you do what you do and what it takes, which is everything. Yeah. You know, you invest your entire life into this life and when something like a pandemic comes and just – takes it all away from you and you are left with no hope and no understanding and and you know you, you don't know what you don't know what you are without it you don't know how you're going to get through without it mm. that's when I sort of thought well this is a really good opportunity to still deliver content to all of our audiences safely in the form of a podcast you know when tickets weren't selling and when people couldn't get out and didn't want to go outside they could still tune in so that's really how it started and speaking to you know incredible minds like Phil Scott and yeah. uh, Paul Capsis is coming mm. up this week it just helps all of those young people who might be looking at the industry going god well what future do I have in it? Just a little bit of insight and, and guiding light into it's still possible. Don't give up because you are so needed. You are so needed in this creative world. So that's kind of where it's come from. Garth, I want to remind you of a story. Um, 
because you were a bit of a heartthrob back in your day, and um, at the Six and Out album launch, um, <laughs> we were there, and Cole Joy, remember Cole Joy? Yeah. yeah he, he came along to watch, and my mum, my mum and dad were there to watch our album launch, and mum said, Shane, is that Cole Joy? I said, yes, it is. Mum goes, I used to love him. Can you introduce me to Cole Joy? And she was fangirling. And so I took mum over, and Cole, this is my mum, and oh, we used to watch you at Balgowny RSL and <laughs> that sort of stuff. Anyway, he was really nice to her, and I sort of walked away, and Gavin Robertson said to me, are you all right, Shane? I said, oh, no, just a bit awkward. My mum was sort of fangirling over Cole Joy. And he goes, oh, don't worry, I think my mum knocked him off. <laughs> <laughs> Before she was married, of course. <laughs> Still got it. Yeah, anyway, that was a good story. I thought I'd remind you of that one. <laughs> just hold it there as we're going to take a quick break. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. The new Elite Bet app has arrived. It's got all the betting features you expect and new ones you're going to love. Elite Bet is your one-stop shop on race day with Hot Bet, where you can back the tips of proven winning punters. Build fast sports multis and play same-game multis. The Elite Bet app is the smoothest betting experience around. Trusted for 10 years, Elite Bet is 100% Australian-owned. The only betting app you need this spring is Elite Bet. Gamble responsibly. If you enjoyed this episode, maybe go way back to the start when I had my brother Brett Lee on the show with Chris Thomas, the record producer, and Tim Farris when we spoke about all things cricket, producing, and music. Um, I like to ask every guest on the show the same question. Uh, I'll ask you first, Catherine. Um, if a young boy or girl wants to go into the entertainment industry, what advice would you give them? Get used to rejection and get used to realising that it's not you. It's the okay. puzzle. It's right. the puzzle. So you have to realise that, well, number one, uh, get a good accountant. Yep. Like seriously get a good accountant. Start saving. Make sure that you know the back end of the business. But once you get out there and you start getting those knocks, you've just got to realise that it's not you. It's just timing. And you just keep keep powering, keep forging ahead. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Resilience is key. And Garth, a young boy or girl wants to go, same thing, into the music industry. What advice would you give them? I think it's, it's the quality of the people – that you choose to give you advice, to write with you, to produce you with you, to play music with you, either in a band or in whatever circumstance. Those choices are absolutely vital. The wrong choice can mess things up terribly. The right choice can make everything happen. Mm. So you, you can't replace that with money. You can't replace that with record deals. It just means that you're somehow you're in a place where there's a magic happens with the music mm. and the songs and the arrangements and so on. And then that same magic then, these are more important decisions. Who is going to be the publicist? Mm. Yeah. Who is going to be our manager? Mm. Who's going to even be our road manager, our lighting guy, et yeah. cetera, et cetera, our, our record label if it goes down that yeah. track. Mm. Those, all, it's the people, the, the, it's the team that, 
you surround yourself with that you become a part of that is the key to it all. It's the it's like a cricket team. Mm. The mm. players have got to be, each player's got to be the right guy to compensate yep. and and bring out the and best in every it's a chemistry in sport too. Everybody yep. else in the team. Yep. And it's the same thing with a mm. person looking for a, some kind of career in music. Yeah, it's beautifully put. Do you think either of you two would have um potentially done anything else or you're always destined to be in this space? We were talking about that earlier inside, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, look, I could have a lot of I love to I love working with timber. I love yep. restoring old radios. That's very music con- connected yep. passion though. Um, I love woodwork. Dad was a farmer. I love animals. Okay. But honestly, it, it was only music that yeah. I could have ever done. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's given you, you, you speak so um, fondly of, of music itself and, and, and experience and when you talk, your, your whole face lights up when you're, you're explaining oh. something. Yeah, it's really, it's lovely to watch. I've, I've yeah. never watched myself do yeah. it. <laughs> so, I don't know, but it, it, there is something there. It's sort of, you know, and, and lately too I've been, I've been thinking, every human gets about 80 years on this planet. Yep. And we're here by accident. Mm. And the planet's even here by accident. It just happened to have a sun at the right distance for the temperature and all of those things. You probably read bits and pieces yep. about that. And so I'm just w- – children should be – a part of their learning is to appreciate that incredible wonder of the universe. Yeah. It's the oceans, the mountains, the moon, the stars, the sky, the clouds, the animals, the birds – they're just incredible, aren't yeah, they? I agree. And the privilege of being here. That's the privilege. Funny. The privilege of being this great mistake. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> this great accident. This great accident. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I hope it's not a mistake. No, like no. Putin was. No. <laughs> there were a few mistakes. There were a few mistakes. No, you're right. Happy accidents. Just yeah. the privilege of being it, able to experience it. Because. After 80 years, when you're dead, you're dead for a very long time. So yep. you just get 80 years to embrace all that life is. With Before the final curtain, eh? The, there's music yep. and there's the universe as well. And, there's, of course, there's people and family. But somehow the universe, people see, seem to miss out on that. Just going, holy shit, yeah. look at that. Yep. You're just looking up at the moon and just going. Having a cold beer while you're doing it's even better. <laughs> letting yourself <laughs> just go... How is that just hanging up there? You know what I mean? It's like, and they send send Sputniks and things up to yeah. fly around it and land on it. I just... Yeah, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. But the, the silver lining to COVID, and I've thought about this a lot, the silver lining to having to take this forced pause yep. in the world, I think that we were all going in such a crazy direction, yep. existing on such an unhealthy yep. level of adrenaline and always pushing forward and losing sight of looking up at the stars and the sun, I think me, the, the, the magic within all of that mess was being able to take my son to the playground every day, connect with the community, meet parents, meet mm. children. I was always touring. I was never around really to, to build those relationships. So to be able to have that time to sit still and not do yep. anything really was quite an opportunity for everyone to – Look back and to reevaluate. You know how, how do we want to operate moving forward? And I hope that a lot of people have learned that lesson and have made some changes. And don't forget too quickly now. 
out the, the benefits of that. Exactly. People, people Don't forget. go back. Um, where, where can people see you at the moment, Catherine? Um, well, I'm working uh, towards two dates. The Divine Miss Bet will be performing at the Sydney Coliseum Theatre, not in Vegas, no. not in Rome, but in Rudy Hill. Okay, <laughs> we're starting there. Um, so on the 25th and 26th of November, it's the biggest venue in Australia after a decade of touring Oz. It's the biggest venue we will have ever played, 2,000 seats. It and is. I'm doing it's amazing. two I'm actually going go there to, um, to, to actually see that theatre uh, next week. Oh, it's yeah. incredible. Shaggers Ridge, we used to call it, not Rudy Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that's still how it goes. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you both for coming on lunch with Lee. Um, Garth, it is wonderful to see you. And, and Catherine, it's lovely you. to meet you. And, thank um, you. Mate, we've got to get this band back together, I reckon. Six and out. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, we'll make yes. an announcement now. We played only a, a week or so ago, and it was um, just getting back there and all the roles within the group sort of reformed, and uh, we had a good <laughs> laugh, and it was just really, really good fun. So oh, yeah, let's, let's put something else down again, mate. Hell yeah. Cheers, guys. Thank Cheers. you. That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Garth Porter and Catherine Alcorn. Thanks to our sponsors, the Osher Group, Barclay Pierce Capital and O'Brien Beer. Make sure you hit follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars and if you're passionate, please leave a review. Our official Lunch With Lee photography was done by Felicity Kelly. You can find her on Instagram at Felicity Kelly Portraits. And a big thank you once again to our producer, Dan McHugh. We'll be back next time to talk with some more legends about sport, music and business on another cracking episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then. Whether it's for early morning coffee and pastries, long business lunches or post-work cocktails, head to District Brasserie in Sydney's CBD. With a modern Australian menu created to hero locally sourced produce and a unique offering of charred meats cooked on a custom-built charcoal oven. Situated on the ground floor of Chifley Tower, District Brasserie is open Monday to Friday for breakfast, lunch and dinner. District Brasserie. Sophisticated yet casual.